The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. The people I know who are going to be writers are the ones who come up to me and say, Mr. Deaver, I've got a terrible problem. I'm not getting the kids to soccer practice on time. I'm showing up for work late. I'm skipping classes because I want to write. And those are the ones who are going to be writers because that kind of lifestyle uh, suits them. And it certainly suits me. And that's something you're, you're kind of born with. You know, not to say there aren't very gregarious authors who produce wonderful, wonderful books, have full family lives and social lives, but there are a, um, you know, a number of us who live for the writing and the, the way that the writing works best is uh, solitary confinement. That's uh, simply the way the, the game works. Welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Number one international best-selling author of more than 40 novels, Jeffrey Deaver, returns to rap about his prolific output, an award-winning handbook for mystery writers, and the latest Coulter Shaw novel, Hunting Time. Jeffrey's a former journalist, musician, and attorney best known for his Lincoln Rhyme series, now a hit NBC TV show, and the novel The Bone Collector, adapted for the big screen starring Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie. The Master of Suspense has been nominated for eight Edgar Awards, and served two terms as president of the Mystery Writers of America and was recently named a Grand Master of MWA, whose ranks include Agatha Christie, Mary Higgins Clark, and Walter Mosley. His latest is Hunting Time, a Coulter Shaw novel described as a riveting thriller as reward seeker Coulter Shaw plunges into the woods and races the clock in a case where nothing is quite what it seems. Kirkus Reviews described the book as a fleet, irresistible tale. Jeffrey has sold over 50 million books worldwide in 150 countries and have been translated into 35 languages. He's also published three collections of short stories. In this file, Jeff and I discussed pandemic survival, how he finds the solitude of the writing life, what it's like to be mentioned in the same breath as Agatha Christie, how he keeps his Edgar Award nomination streak alive, why books are better than Netflix, how the author structures his novels with questions and conflicts, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow 
to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. Okay, we are back on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to have a returning guest. I've got New York Times bestselling author, Jeffrey Deaver is back on the pod. Thank you so much. I can't wait to catch up. Oh, so good to talk to you again, Kelton. Enjoyed it last time. I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun today as well. Absolutely. Um, so I will drop a link to our original conversation, how to write commercial fiction with Jeffrey Deaver. And, you know, we had talked um, essentially about why suspense writers are like airline pilots, um, which I thought was an apt <laughs> analogy and you know wisdom from Joyce Carol Oates talking about the importance of outlining which you're a huge proponent of reading your novel out loud to improve your prose and of course your kind of wisdom and, and formula for writing what we call roller coaster fiction or as you've been called the master of ticking bomb suspense mm -hmm. uh, by people magazine but yeah I can't wait to talk about um what you have been up to since our last talk because we were in the middle or at, at least the beginning of the pandemic and, and everyone was kind of freaked out, but it was definitely like a big change for everybody. And um, the last time we talked, you had 27 cans of tuna on your shelf. So did you make it through the tuna? I'm well, well, you know, it's very funny. You should say that because I've decided, uh, I, I mean, my attitude now is uh, we certainly have to respect what a, you know, nightmare situation we've been through. And, um, you know, we're not completely out of the woods yet by any means. Um, I myself have had five shots. I've had uh, COVID, uh, not not anything uh, serious, although uh, the worst symptom was the brain fog, which you may have heard of. Mm. But I finally decided it's time to um, start emptying out my three freezers where I was I was ready for the apocalypse. And yes, I had the uh, uh, the tuna. And in fact, yesterday I just checked the ex expiration date and I was good to go on, on them and made tuna salad uh, for dinner yesterday, tuna salad for breakfast this morning. Lunch will not be tuna salad because I'm getting a little tired of it at this point. But um, uh, and, and then in roaming some of the shelves, I, I figured if something, you know, it, it, it probably if the expiration date is probably like January 2021, uh, I gave it a pass and out it went. But aside from that, I still have a bunch of food left. I'm, I'm working my way through. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that you still have a taste for tuna <laughs> after all things being said. But yeah, I can't wait to talk about, um, of course, your latest hunting time and, you know, how that writing process, you know, because I think last time we talked, you, you know, you, you were really emphasizing the importance of sticking to a schedule and, and you're a writer who is a huge proponent of deadlines. So it sounds like, it sounded like to me, like, um, and you know, other writers have contradicted this, but you know, it sounded like you were not having any problem with your prolific output as a result of the wider changes that were happening in our society. Sure. Um, well, well, for one thing, when I quit practicing law uh, in the late, uh, my gosh, late 1980s, some time ago, and began writing fiction full time, my big concern, and I, I'd already written about, written and published about six, six, seven books at that point, so I know I could write the, the books, but would I be able to survive the solitude that came with that kind of lifestyle? 
because uh, I, I was working for a law firm and then later for a legal publishing company. And that's, you've got the water cooler, you've got lunch with your friends, you've got clients that you take out, you've got business trips, uh, sometimes to exotic locations, sometimes not, but you get out, you do things. And I thought, well, how will I be able to handle the solitude? And it took me, I am not making this up, I think six hours to realize that I was made for this kind of solitary life. I, I had never been happier. Uh, I, I, you know, I miss friends, of course, but just because you work for yourself doesn't mean you cannot see your friends from time to time. So I certainly made an effort to do that. But so, so since like 1989, my life has been my sitting in a, a well, I was going to say dark room. It doesn't need to be a dark room, but sitting in a room by myself, um, maybe dogs there, uh, maybe not, writing working on my, my books. And it, it suits me. When I, I teach my courses in, in writing, I have uh, students of all ages who come up to me. And these are not academic courses. These are uh, practical courses, kind of what we talked about last time in writing commercial fiction. And I'll have uh, a, a very common thread is that, you know, uh, Mr. Deaver, I want to I wanna write. I love books. I, I want to write. Um, I just can't find the time. And I'm encouraging, certainly, you know, and I say, yeah, well, you don't have to write the whole book, sit down and finish it in uh, a, a week, a month, or even a year, take your time. You know, sometimes it, it takes uh, years to finish a, a book and that book could be, uh, you know, a, a man Booker winner in England or a national book award winner here. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking these people probably will not be full-time writers. They may indeed publish a book or or two, uh, but I, I have a feeling they they very likely may not. I'm still, in, in, as I say, I'm very encouraging. The people I know who are going to be writers are the ones who come up to me and say, Mr. Deaver, I've got a terrible problem. I'm not getting the kids to soccer practice on time. I'm showing up for work late. I'm skipping classes because I want to write. Um, and those are the ones who are going to be writers because that a kind of lifestyle uh, suits them. And it certainly suits me. And that's something you're, you're kind of born with. You know, not to say there aren't very gregarious authors who produce wonderful, wonderful books, have full family lives and social lives. But there are a, um, you know, a number of us who live for the writing. And the the way that the writing works best is uh, solitary confinement. That's uh, simply the way the, the game works. And so the, the pandemic time was not a lot different for me. Um, I was now as an author, I will, my typical life of an author is work six days a week. Seventh day, I have a, maybe a dinner party or go out to see friends. And during the week, of course, I'll see friends as well. But during the pandemic, I missed that. Of course, who who, who wouldn't? But it gave me a chance to um, get a little bit more done than I normally would have. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. 
The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. As an author, obviously, you've had a prolific output, I believe, um, more than 40 novels now, jotting and writing and publishing short stories and nonfiction at times. Um, And I think, honestly, since last we talked, um, I I hadn't realized that you had been the president of the Mystery Writers of America Mm -hmm. and that you had recently been named actually the Grand Master of MWA, which um, includes... Some pretty storied writers there, uh, including Agatha Christie, Mary Higgins Clark, and Walter Mos- Mosley. Indeed. But uh, yeah, talk a little bit about that organization, that honor, and then also, um, you know, we could we could delve into a little bit about the How to Write a Mystery Handbook that you contributed to, sure. and I believe it seems like a pretty important handbook. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> in it's and of v- itself very well received. I think it was. Um, uh, I. I, I kind of lose track of the, uh, this is <laughs> not a very humble thing to say, but I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, again, like for, it's about 45 novels at this point, 90 short stories, some nonfiction stuff. And just by virtue of the volume, you're going to get recognized from time to time. And I've gotten, uh, you know, a fair number of awards, but um, the uh, some awards I haven't won, uh, like the McCavity, uh, the Anthony, and Mystery Handbook up for an award, not paying much attention to it. And suddenly it started winning awards. And for instance, it did win an Anthony, and I think it got a McCavity and uh, another uh, award as well. And suddenly I can add that on. But then I have to add in parentheses, like I got one eightieth of the award because it was a, <laughs> there was a number of us. You know, so I, I should actually put it instead of parentheses, I'll put a little asterisk because nobody reads the footnotes anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, we can we can certainly talk about the uh, the handbook. But about MWA, I mean, it's I, I was. Just uh, absolutely uh, delighted some years ago to be asked uh, to be president of the Mystery Writers of America, one of the preeminent uh, writers groups in in the country. It does many, many uh, things. Education, of course. It has the famous awards, uh, the Edgar Awards, and a number of other awards honoring not only writers, but booksellers and publishers and people involved in the, uh, uh, in the publishing world 
uh, and in television as well, any any mystery writing uh, kind of uh, phenomenon MWA is um, a part of. And I was, um, I've been a member for a, a long time, and you, you probably know that the uh, MWA offers the uh, Edgar Award, uh, really one of the most prestigious awards in the uh, in the world. Now, I, I will say right off the bat, I've been nominated for eight Edgars. Delighted by that. You know, the, the soap opera character, Susan Lucci, who was um, uh, nominated for, I don't know how many daytime soap opera Emmys, but but never won. I think finally she did win. And so I've been nominated sure. for eight, um, uh, eight Edgars Amazing. and never won. Um, all right. I don't want to win at this point. I want to keep that record going on and on and on. <laughs> uh, although I, I, I was uh, I was interviewed in Germany uh, some some years ago. Uh, I was speaking English. Uh, my uh, uh, answers to the interviewer were translated. And apparently the German word for nominated is very similar to the German word for one. And so when the article came out, it said uh, uh, Deaver has, uh, of course, uh, unique to the Edgar Awards, won eight awards. Now, um, I hadn't. <laughs> yeah, I'd never said I did. Of course, I hadn't. And um, my thinking is, and I, I went to journalism school, you know, it's kind of their job to check the facts. Had they run it by me ahead of time, I certainly would have corrected them. But next thing I know, it's in print. And I didn't even know it said that until somebody started, some uh, friends started calling me up and say, congratulations, Jeff. And I said, well, it's, that, that's, that's fake news of the best sort. Um, Anyway, uh, that, that's, uh, uh, that award is, is offered by uh, MWA, and it's very prestigious, and I'm uh, extremely honored to have been nominated that many, uh, that many times. The uh, organization has, uh, as I mentioned, educational programs, and I was very uh, fortunate uh, to be able to teach my commercial writing course at each of the 12 chapters around the uh, around the country. And it, it gave us a chance from the national MWA to get to the, uh, uh, you know, to get to the grassroots and to see what's going on on the ground with, uh, with writers uh, and kind of get a, a sense of what's, uh, you know, what's selling. Is it, you know, vampire crime fiction? Is it uh, zombie crime fiction? Is it classic, what we call golden age, Agatha Christie, whom you mentioned earlier, Dorothy L. Sayers. Is it the, um, uh, you know, the hot new, uh, young authors were seeing a, a huge influx, and I think this is uh, long overdue. Uh, writers of, of color uh, in the genre, mystery genre, are now uh, coming into their their own and being published uh, much more regularly. And uh, so I, I just, uh, it was very helpful for me, not only to get out and see the uh, individuals who are, in fact, creating the, the current fiction that we have right now, but um, you know, to to kind of give me some input about what readers want and what uh, the uh, audience is like at the moment. Absolutely. Well, you know, let's talk about your latest. Anyway, Hunting Time. Okay, it's a it's a it's a Coulter Shaw novel, and it is uh, the fourth uh, Coulter Shaw novel featuring uh, my my character who is an itinerant reward seeker. People say, well, is that a job that one could sign up for? Because it sounds kind of cool. You travel around the country, you look for um, missing people for whom there's been a, um, uh, an award posted. A police, prison officials post these awards too. You've probably uh, seen them in the news. 
hundred thousand dollars to track down this fugitive, and um, it, it is no, it's not a real job. I made it up because it seemed like a it seemed like a a, a perfect way to get a character uh, in different parts of the country, and I love writing regional uh, stories and novels, and give him something to do uh, crime wise. And so the um, the, the first uh, three books were what I I call the Coulter Shaw Genesis story. We we meet him, we get to know him. Uh, the the three novels appearing a year apart actually occur only about fifteen minutes later than the the, the one uh, just prior to it. And there are uh, a series of crimes involved. Coulter Shaw is tracking down rewards, but he's also trying to get to the bottom of a, a mystery involving his father's death. And because so many of my books involve uh, twists and turns and surprises, I don't want to give too much away. But uh, suffice it to say that uh, the the Ashton Shaw, Coulter's father, uh, met his demise under uh, very curious circumstances. And and Coulter can't quite let go what happened or what might have happened. And so not only does each of the three books, The Never Game, The Goodbye Man, and The Final Twist, involve his uh, tracking down rewards, but there's a through line of his uh, getting closer and closer to the answer of what happened to his father. And as I love it in, in while well, I was going to say crime fiction, frankly, in all fiction, how that theme interweaves with the, um, uh, the rewards. And, you know, nothing is really completely standalone in my books. I, I love the interplay between the different plots and, and subplots. Uh, but Okay, now we've got that story taken care of. And again, I can't, I, I don't dare explain how it was resolved because um, I want your listeners to go out and buy my next book, but, but so, and, and the prior ones as well. So suffice it to say that I took care of that. And now Coulter is uh, kind of down to the reward business uh, as a full-time job. He's got his family taken care of. Now he's moving on. And uh, the, uh, and the book, uh, the latest, uh, Hunting Time, is very typical of a Deaver book. It takes place over a short period of time. It has lots of internal reversals. And by internal reversal, I mean, uh, for instance, we'll come to the end of chapter seven and uh, we'll see that the hero, Coulter Shaw, has has picked up a sidekick who we think is a a very interesting kind of person. And this is a hypothetical, this does not actually occur in the book, but he's picked up a, a sidekick, very interesting, sympathetic character. We like him or her a lot. And then at the end of chapter seven, we realize, but Coulter does not, that this is actually the sidekick of the villain. And he's been a plant to uh, get to uh, uh, get to work his way into Coulter Shaw's uh, uh, plan. Well, uh, those are internal reversals. Uh, there's some what I would call esoteric information, uh, things that I, as an author, like to research. And I think readers like to learn about. Um, In my book featuring Coulter, The Goodbye Man, for instance, that was set in a cult, uh, a um, a sort of a a religious uh, cult. I'm sure your your listeners are very familiar with these things. And uh, so I did a lot of research into cults. Uh, The first in the series, The Never Game, uh, which we can talk about this, is going to be a CBS TV series uh, airing next year. Uh, that's set in the uh, the world of Silicon Valley and involves a, uh, a computer game gone bad. Hunting Time starts with a, a very interesting phenomenon I didn't know about, uh, miniature nuclear reactors. 
Walter Shaw has been uh, asked to find out uh, what happened to a very critical part of a um, what's called a pocket uh, uh, nuclear reactor. Now, these things you would not put in your backyard, mm. although one mm -hmm. could. They only weigh 60 tons, which is more than I could pick up. But it's compared with the, uh, say, Three Mile Island or the bigger reactors, it's it's pretty tiny. And uh, some people feel this is the, the face of uh, the new nuclear. Whether you think it's green or not, uh, certainly uh, we are turning our eyes toward nuclear energy as an alternative, mm -hmm. alternative to oil yeah. and gas. And uh, anyway, the part goes missing and Coulter uh, gets uh, involved in, the, um, uh, in, in tracking this thing down. Well, of course, in a deeper book, you know, nothing is what it seems to be. And so, well, guess what? He solves that crime in chapter three. Well, there has to be a little more than that. And so uh, naturally, we learn that the designer of the reactor, um, a woman, a single mom, and her teenage daughter have gone missing. And uh, they haven't been kidnapped, but they're fleeing from uh, a whole host of people. One is her psychotic uh, ex-husband who has been released from prison uh, earlier than expected. Another uh, are these two uh, very creepy fellows uh, who are, are up to no good, but we don't quite know what. And the other is uh, an industrialist who uh, believes that she may have some uh, whistleblowing secrets on him. And then on top of all this, she thinks that Coulter Shaw is in league with any one of them or maybe all of them. And so she's fleeing through the wilderness. Coulter takes off after her to try to save her and her daughter. And um, the story just goes from there. It takes place, um, again, typically Beaver, over a couple of days. It um, has these internal reversals. I, I mentioned a lot of esoteric information about these computers and about survival in the uh, in the woods because Coulter Shaw's uh, history is that of a survivalist and not the wacky kind of survivalist we hear about in the news sometimes. He's simply someone who knows how to survive in the, uh, in the wilderness, in uh, you know, blizzards and the, the desert and, and so forth. He's, uh, he's very self-sufficient. One of his prized possessions is the Ralph Waldo Emerson essay, Self-Reliance. Uh, and he believes that people should be uh, reliant upon themselves uh, first and foremost, when they uh, when they achieve that goal, then they can help others. So he's, um, you know, get, it gets a, a bit of philosophy in there. Well, uh, we have some of that survivalism, and then there's a surprise ending. And yes, following that, there's a surprise ending. And after that, there's another surprise uh, surprise ending. Because I, yes, I love my surprise endings. Uh, so that, in a nutshell, is um, is um, hunting time. And I. I I don't know if that's going to figure in the series because uh, the Never Game was the uh, that's the title of the CBS series, uh, starring uh, Justin Hartley as uh, Coulter Shaw, by the way, the uh, great actor from This Is Us. Um, I don't know whether they're going to uh, make that uh, um, the Never Game an entire season or whether they're going to pick and choose from the different books. So uh, we'll have to see what happens. You probably will know about it before I do because I'll be in a dark room writing my books. And I don't pay much attention <laughs> to media. And so, uh, well, right. Kelton, if you find out, just drop me a line and let me know what's going on with that. Okay. I'll keep my ear ears to the ground on that one. Um, we'll be paying close attention to that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Congrats on the latest, of course. Um, and, you know, I mean, it seems like you're jumping between the Lincoln Rhyme series still and the Culture Shaw series. How are you kind of breaking up the the writing and the research piece? Because I know you have a very, you have a very um, specific kind of routine that you go through each year and on a yearly basis. Sure. Are you picking and choosing? Do you have different desks where you go to in the house <laughs> like uh, James Cameron did when he was writing Terminator? Oh, is that right? I didn't. I didn't know that. I, I actually respect him a lot. It could be apocrypha, um, but I'm pretty sure that he said in an interview once he had two different desks, one, and he would play different music at each one while he was writing the different scripts. And I think, you know, it could have been Terminator and Aliens or Alien, excuse me, or Terminator and The Abyss. I can't remember. But between the two different types of scripts, he was he was jumping back and forth, kind of trying to change his neurobiology I know for a fact uh, when he was writing The Abyss he listened to the uh, soundtrack for Little Mermaid I, <laughs> I'm go. making that up with all respect uh, <laughs> Jim if you're listening uh, I, I make up stuff for a living so uh, no no I don't <laughs> and uh, the great author uh, Nobel winner Saul Bellow literary writer said uh, when uh, someone asked him uh, a question about what type of pencil he used when writing. He said, well, you know what, whatever's there. I think a writer should not pay too much attention to his shoelaces. And and Bella was just, just, just great. He had these metaphorical expressions, meaning that, um, uh, you know, no rituals. I don't have any rituals. I write wherever I, uh, I need to write. I have um, uh, an office. Uh, at the moment, I'm in my kitchen where I also work uh, frequently at, at the island. My dogs are in the office because it's kind of soundproofed and uh, they they tend to bark during interviews because I'm neglecting them. But um, no, I work anywhere and I'll jump between uh, uh, books. Uh, the one thing I can't do is outline two books at once uh, because and as, as we talked last time and if you're, you know, your listeners are interested, I think we talked a, a fair amount about technique last time. They can jump to that link and uh, listen to what I what I feel about putting a book together. Uh, so I, I outline uh, eight months of outlining uh, a book and doing the research at the same time. And then when that's done, I sit down and write the book very quickly to generate the prose. Well, I can't generate prose for two books at the same time because they jump back and forth. Uh, my uh, The ideas and the characters uh, jump back and forth. Uh, but I can outline a book at, while I'm writing the prose for the, uh, for the uh, current one. And I, I do a, a book a year. Um, you know, we authors are up against some very uh, formidable uh, 
uh, creative competition out there. Yes, of course, Angry Birds uh, and Candy Crush and Stardew Valley, the the video games that who doesn't love to play when you get tired of writing, uh, but also also streaming uh, streaming TV. It's just wonderful, wonderful things are on uh, the the many platforms. I I watch them myself and love them, but I do feel that a book is the more um, emotionally satisfying uh, creative form of storytelling. Because once you've seen, uh, you know, Breaking Bad four times, as I have, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's We kind of walk away from the world of Walter White. But if you read a, a, a book, we as as readers participate in the, the storytelling. And it, it becomes um, richer. For us, and the emotional engagement is is deeper, and so I, um, while I love sitting down with a remote control like everybody, like everybody else, I still feel that that books are. I, I guess I'll use the word better. Better if, if your goal is to create a uh, you know an intense emotional connection between a story and and the the reader, uh, then then a book is the place to go. A book or short story, and so I've been um, working very hard on getting um, my material out to the um, out to the audience. I mean, could I retire now? Yeah, I could, but I had no desire to. I want to keep uh, keep producing and keep producing uh, a book in a, having mentioned the streaming world, a, a book that uh, is maybe a little closer to the, the, the concept of streaming. Still a book. You still read it. You still participate as a reader with the author's story, but what I've done is change the form a bit. Um, and in fact, I call it a streaming style uh, so that when somebody sits down with a new Deaver book, and this goes back four or five books now since uh, the streaming world has really started to take off. And very briefly, I'll describe it. Uh, the books are shorter. Uh, I used to write 130,000 uh, words. Now they're like 100,000 words. I, um, I have shorter uh, chapters, shorter paragraphs, more dialogue. Uh, a la screenplay. Uh, there's just as much uh, emotional engagement among characters. It's not all shoot 'em up, not all car chases. Certainly, uh, there's uh, there are relationships uh, that I think are just as deep. But I want the story to move more uh, more quickly. I work very hard to make sure you will never have to look up a word in a deeper book in the dictionary. And earlier, some of my books going back 10, 15 years, I was a, a little more arrogant about it. I, th I think my uh, uh, my, my thinking was, well, you know what? This is a great phrase. I, I, okay, that's an odd word, but you know what? They're going to have to look it up. Or they're going to have to just figure out what it means. Well, I don't think so. I think it's our job as authors to come to the reader, to give them what they want, what will make them enjoyable. Now, is, is somebody going to say, oh, I can watch The Queen's Gambit tonight or pick up this, this Deaver book? Uh, no, that's not going to happen. But what I hope will happen is, if they pick up a Deaver book, they'll say, you know what? I I read this thing in in a day and I didn't have to plod my way through it as I have to do in some fiction. It's kind of maybe they won't even make the connection that it's kind of like watching, uh, you know, the White Lotus or Veep uh, without the comedy, of course. <laughs> and uh, uh, that, well, I, I try to get a few laughs in my book, but uh uh, but but anyways, you know, it's, it's it, uh, my think my thinking is, OK, maybe they'll think, you know, it's kind of like that. And I, I enjoy it and I'm going to look for another one. 
And maybe if I like his books, I'll pick up some other authors too. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love listening to you talk about really just, you know, getting the pages, getting the story, um, how you use questions and conflicts to drive the plot, of course. And then, you know, this idea of, you know, as you're maturing and, and as you're becoming a more adept author in the genre, um, shorter chapters, shorter paragraphs, more dialogue, you know, because it seems to drive these stories um, with a pace that, as you put it, you know, you're, you're working on a, um, a shorter, shorter time period, you know, these missions that are short time periods and compressed, compressed timelines, I should say. Mm -hmm. But um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, congrats on congrats on the work. Uh, the latest Hunting Time is uh, book four of four of the Culture Shaw series and has been called uh, A Fleet Irresistible Tale by Kirkus. And of course, um, yeah, it, it's exciting to see this world kind of expand and the mystery uh, deepen and, you know, the bigger and the smaller pieces, obviously, really, really, really nice to see. You had talked about just like the importance of the idea that getting the pages is somewhat subjective. Each writer approaches the desk differently. Each writer is going to have a different style. And that's really what we've learned on this show, I think, over, you know, oh, hundreds of, of episodes, hundreds of interviews is that each author, every successful author just does, does what works for them. No author's the same. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, you've talked about they're not really, be, you know, the idea of writer's block, not really being a, uh, a concrete thing, but the idea of idea block really being kind of mm -hmm. more what writers are struggling with. But um, we so appreciate your words, your wisdom. Uh, I will point, of course, to the original episode and the book, your home base there, jeffreydebrew.com. You know, I could pick your brain all day and I'd love to have you back. <laughs> I know I know you've done some video series that are out there in the world on the on the uh, resource page of your website. And of course, there's a, there's a newsletter too that listeners can sign up for over there to sure, keep sure. track of your stuff. When I uh, first got into this business many years ago, pre-social media, of course, uh, there really was social media, except we called it postcards. And uh, to reach our readers, <laughs> we would we would uh, print out, uh, you know, sync. I actually sunk one of my first adva total advances into my um, uh, promotion budget. Uh, of course, the publishing company did something, but they can't be expected to have an unlimited budget to support, you know, relatively new readers. So I would, um, um, I sunk the, all the money. I was, you know, the princely sum of like $1,200, but, and, and printed, printed out these uh, wonderful postcards, spent another uh, three or 400 mailing them out on mailing lists I bought, whether they ended up, uh, who knows where, in uh, trash cans, probably a lot of them. But uh, it was, you know, the social media of the time. And you, you, you just, you have to do it. It's, you know, as I also tell my students, you know, this is a business folks, you know, we're Procter and Gamble, uh, you know, it's a creative product, but you know what? Toothpaste is creative too. They don't, you know, they, somebody sits down and thinks, you know, what's going to be the best toothpaste I can make? Or why is this car going to be better than another car? That's creative thinking. And we, uh, you know, we have to do that. And that means we have to uh, sell it as well. And that's, uh, you know, that's why I do the, uh, uh, of course the novels, uh, I work hard. I'm, I'm writing a, uh, don't know if anything's going to happen uh, with this, but an original uh, streaming uh, TV series. Uh, I can't say anything more about it at this point, but uh, that's uh, that will be shopped around. I also do uh, short stories. You know, I work with uh, Amazon uh, original stories quite a bit and publish uh, uh, two or three with with them because I love 
short fiction. There isn't much of a market nowadays, but Amazon has done a very good job of uh, promoting uh, short fiction. I mean, promoting it as a uh, as a creative form and then promoting it uh, as a marketer would promote it. Um, and uh, so it's, you know, because that, that's a market that I, I identified. And to, um, you know, to make a living in, in, in this day and age as a, a writer, you have to, you know, explore and exploit every opportunity. Um, it's funny because I'll go to this quote from How to Write a Mystery, a handbook by the Mystery Writers of America. Again, congrats on the, uh, the, the 180th of the McCavity right. Agatha and Anthony Awards. <laughs> <laughs> Crime doesn't pay enough <laughs> i'll drop a link to that that um fantastic resource because uh you know there's some great writers including yourself tess garrison who's been on the show um drops uh some advice about the medical thriller of course you did your piece on outlining lee child uh did did a segment on never outlining which <laughs> i think is uh pretty funny it's hilarious yeah yeah but hey um thank you again for stopping by um, we wish you the best of luck. And uh, what are you working on uh, presently? Wh wh uh, what novel series are you working on presently? I, I'm doing a, a Lincoln Rhyme uh, at the moment. It will be out um, in uh, mid-year next year. And then again, a couple, uh, you know, just go to my website. I've got a couple of the Amazon uh, short stories, Amazon short story cycle. I'm doing four uh, short stories that kind of interweave a la Quentin Tarantino. Uh, kind of a fun project, but uh, uh, that's uh, about it. And after we speak now, I'm going to uh, free my dogs from uh, their uh, captivity. And uh, after uh, they get treats, uh, we'll, all three of us will sit down and they'll help me uh, keep going with that new Lincoln Rhyme book. I love it. I love it. Again, thank you for your words, your wisdom. Come back anytime and uh, we will let you, let you free those pups. <laughs> okay, Kellen. Thanks so much as always. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. And scene, we did it. <laughs> Sorry about the uh, technical wackiness. That was kind of... Do you have to jump off? Is this a, a hard stop right now for you? I've got, a, I've got a second or two more. I always enjoy talking with you, Kilton.